Shalom, and welcome to the One God Report podcast. Bill Schlegel here. This is episode number 70, and it's called The Greeks in the Gospel of John are Greek-speaking Jews. I used to think that the Greeks mentioned in a couple of places in the Gospel of John were Gentiles. But some comments by a friend got me thinking about the possibility that the Greeks in the Gospel of John were Greek-speaking Israelites who grew up outside of the land of Israel. The Gospel of John is using the word Greeks, Hellenes, in a cultural and linguistic sense, not in an ethnic sense. The two passages in the Gospel of John which mentions these Greeks, these Hellenes, are chapter 7, verse 35, and chapter 12, verses 20 to 24. Like I said, the word used in these passages, translated as Greeks, is the plural form of the word Hellene. Hellene is the Greek way to say Greek. Here are some standard biblical Greek lexical definitions of the word Hellene, translated as Greek. The Greek New Testament lexicon says, a Greek, a Gentile, but then also proselytes, Gentiles who adopted the Jewish faith, God-fearers, or people in sympathy with Israel's heritage, unquote. Another lexicon, called the Greek analytical lexicon, distinguishes two different ways that the word Hellene, Greek, is used. A religious way versus a cultural way. The religious definition would be, quote, a Gentile, a non-Jew, a pagan, unquote. But then a cultural definition is given, quote, a person of Greek language and civilization as opposed to a barbarian, that's a foreigner who doesn't speak Greek. Another lexicon called the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament states of this word Hellene, one who speaks Greek. I see John's Gospel is using the word Hellene in this cultural sense, not in a religious or ethnic sense, to differentiate between two different groups of Jews. One, diaspora Jews, Israelites of Greek language and cultural background, compared to the second group, Jews or Israelites who lived in Israel and spoke a Semitic language like Hebrew or perhaps Aramaic. Like most readers of John's Gospel, I previously read the word Greek in a religious or ethnic sense, thinking John was talking about non-Jews. Now I see that the term Greeks in John's Gospel is better understood in a cultural sense. The Greeks in John's Gospel are Jews or Israelites who spoke Greek or grew up in the Greek-speaking diaspora. The next section is called, The Hellenists in the Book of Acts are Jews. Some corroborating evidence that John meant Greek-speaking Israelites comes from the Book of Acts. The author, Luke, in the Book of Acts, used the slightly different word Hellenist in the same way, referring to people who were ethnically and religiously Israelites, but were linguistically and culturally Greeks. Again, looking at some Greek 
lexicon definitions of the word Hellenist. The Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament says, a Greek-speaking Jew, Greek-speaking Israelite, in contrast to one speaking a Semitic language. Look at one of these references in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1. Quote, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists, it's really the word for Greeks, the Hellenists murmured against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Unquote. These Hellenists, Greeks, are not Gentiles, but Jews with a Greek language and cultural background. Another reference in the book of Acts, chapter 9, when Paul first came to Jerusalem, after coming to know that Jesus is the Messiah, we read, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Unquote. At this point in the history of the believers in Jesus, Paul was not disputing with Gentiles in Jerusalem. These Greeks, these Hellenists, were Jews. That is why some English Bible translations, like the NET translation, translates the word Hellenist here simply as, quote, Greek-speaking Jews. Here's the translation. He was speaking and debating with the Greek-speaking Jews. Okay, these are the Hellenists, the Greeks. Paul himself of the tribe of Benjamin, but born in Tarsus, could be considered a Hellenist. This is why he so quickly was debating in Jerusalem with others of like culture and language. This is one reason he was later effective in bringing the gospel to the Greek-speaking world. It is clear in the book of Acts that the word Hellenist is used to describe Jews or Israelites who came from a Greek language and cultural background. The same kind of recognizable differences exist today. A Jewish person who grew up in America speaking English is distinguishable from a native-born Israeli who grew up in Israel speaking Hebrew. Now let's look at the Hellenes, the Greeks, in the Gospel of John. It is not always easy to pin down exactly what is meant by the words Hellene or Hellenist in the New Testament, and context is necessary. Yes, Paul later in his letters used the word Hellene in the ethnic and religious sense to mean a non-Jew, a Gentile. But in the Gospel of John, one indication that the Greeks, the Hellenes, were Israelites is that they are specifically called the Diaspora of the Greeks. When Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Festival of Tabernacles, he said to certain Judeans that in a little while he would go somewhere to which they could not come. This is in John chapter 7. Then in John chapter 7, 35, we have our first appearance of the word Greek, Hellene, reading John seven thirty-five. The Judeans said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the diaspora of the Greeks and teach the Hellenes? The word diaspora comes from a Greek word which means to scatter about. The English word dispersion is from the same root, diaspora, dispersion. Today, the term diaspora can refer to foreign lands outside of Israel. 
But originally, and still today more prominently, diaspora means the Jewish people living outside of Israel. Listen to this dictionary definition for diaspora. Quote, the dispersion of the Jewish people outside of Israel. Jewish people as an ethnic group living outside Israel. The communities or the body of Jews outside of Israel. Unquote. To repeat, the diaspora means the Jewish or Israelite people who live in foreign lands. The diaspora of the Greeks, the phrase in John chapter 7, verse 45, means the Jewish people who lived in lands where Greek culture and language was prominent. Note the complete Jewish Bible translation of John 7.35, quote, Does he intend to go to the Greek diaspora and teach the Greek-speaking Jews? Unquote. The Greeks, or the Hellenes, of John chapter 7.35 has typically been misunderstood by readers of John's Gospel to refer to Gentiles. But this is an incorrect understanding. Here in John chapter 7, at the Festival of Tabernacles, the Judeans thought that Jesus possibly intended to leave Israel and go among the Greek-speaking Jews in the West. The diaspora of the Hellenes are Greek-speaking Jews. The next section. Gentiles in Jerusalem for the Passover? The second occurrence of the word Hellenes, Greeks, in John's Gospel is found in chapter 12, verses 20 to 24. And again, it is better to understand the word to refer to Israelites who had a Greek cultural and linguistic background. It is very unlikely that uncircumcised Greek Gentiles would come to Jerusalem to worship during the Passover, and for sure they would not be allowed to worship at the temple. Compare the book of Acts, chapter 21, where Paul was accused of bringing a Gentile onto the temple. Let me read John chapter 12, verses 20 to 24, the second occurrence of the word Hellenes, Greeks. Quote, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, or Hellenes, it's our word. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Lord, we wish to see Jesus. Ah, notice that these guys called Philip Lord. Continuing, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew went with Philip, and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Unquote. Again, it is unlikely that uncircumcised Greek Gentiles would come to Jerusalem to worship at the Passover. These Greeks, or Hellenes, in John chapter 12, verse 21, could be circumcised proselytes, maybe, but more likely they are Greek speaking Israelites. It is interesting to note that they first appealed to Philip, who then told Andrew. Philip and Andrew were both Galileans, not Judeans. The next topic. Help wanted. Here's the job description. Messiah must be able to regather the diaspora of Israel. 
Most commentators have assumed that the Greeks who sought Jesus at the Passover, described in John 12, were Gentiles, and that these Gentiles are a sample of the influence that Jesus would have upon the Gentile world. But Jesus was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There was no Gentile ministry at this time. Gentiles don't begin coming to a belief of the Jewish Messiah Jesus' benefits for them until about a decade after Jesus was crucified, and that was outside the land of Israel in Antioch of Syria, about 44 AD. See Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. In the Gospel of John, Jesus never ventured into Gentile lands and does not minister to Gentiles. The entire context of the Gospel of John is Jesus' ministry to his own, his own people, Hebrews, Jews, Judeans, Israelites. Note how significant it is to Jesus when he hears that these diaspora Israelites are seeking him. Jesus excitedly proclaims a desire that God be glorified, and God even responds from heaven. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for his own glorification and that his glorification would only come through his death, as a seed must die before bearing much fruit. Why was Jesus so moved when he heard that diaspora Israelites who had come to Jerusalem to worship at the Passover were seeking him? Because he understood that through his ministry as the Messiah, the God of Israel would be glorified by bringing to pass the ancient prophetic hope of the regathering of Israel into one people in their land. The regathering of Israel, called in Hebrew Kibbutz Galuyot, is one promise of the God of Israel to his people Israel. Based on many scriptures, I have a list in the show notes, Take a look, for instance, at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 5. Based on many scriptures, the kibbutz galuyot, the regathering of Israel, came to be connected with the coming of the Messiah. When the Messiah, the descendant of King David, comes, Israel and Judah would be regathered and united again in their own land. The regathering would be concrete evidence to both Israel and the nations, that Yahweh is God. I'll read a couple of verses showing this kibbutz galuyot, regathering of Israel. Psalm 106, verse 47. Save us, O Yahweh, our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And Ezekiel chapter 37 Verse 21 and 25. Thus says Yahweh, God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around, and will bring them to their own land, and they shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever and David my servant shall be their prince forever." Unquote. The author of the Gospel of John, to make his point that Jesus, as the Messiah, 
is the facilitator of the regathering of Israel, recorded the ironical statement of the unbelieving high priest Caiaphas. The setting is just after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, 49-52 But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Unquote. I suggest the children of God who are scattered abroad, John 11.52, is not a reference to Gentiles, but is a reference to Israelites of the diaspora. This Jewish author, writing to other Jews, is declaring that through Jesus the Messiah, God ultimately gathers into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Jews would recognize this phrase, gathering into one the children of God who are scattered abroad, as a reference to the kibbutz galuyot, the regathering of the diaspora, and the restoration of a unified nation under one king. We need to read the Gospel of John as a Jewish book, written by a Jew for Jews. Gentiles are not in the picture that the Gospel of John paints. The phrase, children of God, is found only one other place in the Gospel of John, way back in the prologue in chapter 1, verse 12. Speaking about Jesus coming to his own people, the Jews, the Judeans, the author says that to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become, quote, children of God, unquote. This is an Israelite writing to other Israelites. There are no Gentiles in view here. Of course, Gentiles can read John's gospel and benefit greatly in seeing how God has worked for his people Israel in and through the Messiah, just like we can benefit from reading the book of Exodus and understand that there is a God in Israel who brought Israel out of Egypt to a promised land, and we can declare God has done great things for them, Psalm 126, verse 2. And yes, the New Testament unambiguously declares that, quote, God has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, Acts 14.27. But that did not happen until a decade after the events described in the Gospel of John. There are no Gentiles being ministered to or appealed to in John's Gospel. To think so would only be an assumption. The Word of God came to the people of Israel, both in the Old Testament and as the man Christ Jesus in the New Testament. To them, to the Hebrews, belong the oracles of God, the word of God. The children of God that the author of the Gospel of John is concerned with are Israelites. 
Israel is the firstborn son of God. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Hosea 11.1. Later, Gentiles who were far off and without God in the world could become fellow heirs by adoption, sons of God through faith. See references in the written text. But, one might ask, how can John's gospel be claiming that Jesus is the Messiah through whom God regathers the dispersed of Israel into one, when Jews are still dispersed to this very day, 2,000 years later? The answer is, so far, the regathering was only done in a down-payment fashion. In a symbolic way, these Greek-speaking Jews who sought Jesus that Passover in Jerusalem were a down-payment, a sign and symbol that Jesus is the Messiah through whom God regathers Israel. In the same way, the blind and the lame are still here today. But Jesus gave evidence that he is the one through whom all the blind and the lame will be restored. In the same way, death still reigns today, but Jesus gave and is evidence that through him, death is destroyed. The next section, a couple of problem verses. There are two other verses in John's Gospel that formerly made me think that the audience of John's Gospel were Gentiles and not Israelites, like I've suggested predominantly diaspora Israelites. Both of these verses involve the only two places in all of the New Testament where the Hebrew word Messiah appears. The first reference is in John chapter 1, verse 41, where Andrew finds his brother Peter. And here's what he says, John 1, 41. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah. Then there's a parenthesis, which is translated Christ. The second occurrence of the word Messiah is John chapter 4, verse 25, on the lips of the Samaritan woman. Quote, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. Unquote. The first verse is a bit different from the second, since the phrase, which is translated Christ, appears to be an editorial comment by the author. In the second occurrence, the phrase, he who is called Christ, the author appears to be recording the words of the Samaritan woman and not inserting his own editorial comment. These are the only two places in all of the New Testament where the Hebrew word Messiah appears. On these two early confessions about who Jesus is, one from the mouth of the Galilean Andrew and the second from the mouth of a Samaritan woman, the author preserved the word Messiah, spelling out the Hebrew word Messiah in Greek letters. Why? I used to think that the author must be helping Gentile readers here by telling them what Messiah means in the Greek language. But now I think these two appearances of the word Messiah in John's Gospel can and should be understood 
in the context of the book being written to Jews. Here are my reasons. First, preserving the word Messiah in these two early confessions in the Gospel of John sets a Semitic, Hebraic, land of Israel tone as the backdrop for the Gospel. The author made it a point to preserve the word, the title, Messiah in Hebrew, that the people in the narrative actually used. Even though the author is recording the events and the dialogue in the Greek language, the author is indicating to his readers that the persons in the narrative were not speaking Greek. Second, we don't know when the Gospel of John was written. I suspect it was written earlier than most scholarly conjectures suggest. That would be a subject for another episode. But if the Gospel of John was written by a Jew for Jews, there is no reason it could not have been written soon after Jesus lived. Calling followers of Jesus Christians from the word Christ, the Greek word Christ, did not begin until at least a decade after Jesus was on earth. And the Christian designation was first applied to believers outside of the land of Israel in Antioch of Syria. See Acts chapter 11, verse 26. The apostles in Israel in the decade following Jesus' resurrection were not called Christians. By preserving the word Messiah in these two early references in his gospel, the author could be making the point that those called Christians starting in the mid-AD 40s originated with Israelites and even Samaritans in the land of Israel who believed that Jesus is the Messiah. And third, having defined his term and having established the Hebraic land of Israel context of his writing, in a sense the author saying, this is the one we call Messiah in Hebrew, but in Greek he is called Christ. For the remainder of the gospel now, the author would use the Greek translation Christ. So in summary, I think there is enough evidence presented in this podcast and in the previous podcast, which was called In the Gospel of John, Jews are Judeans, to show that a main, if not the main original audience of the Gospel of John were Greek-speaking Israelites, not Gentiles. The Gospel of John definitely can be interpreted this way, and I think it is better interpreted this way. You might say, why does it matter? Why does it matter if the original audience of the Gospel of John were Greek-speaking Israelites and not Gentiles? I suggest it matters a lot. For instance, if the Gospel of John is a book written by an Israelite to Israelites, then we can understand that there is no anti-Semitism in this Gospel. The Gospel of John is addressing an internal Jewish controversy. John was not writing to Gentile audiences to declare, the Jews rejected and killed Jesus. Rather, the author is writing to other Hebrews, giving reasons to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, even though Judeans rejected him. 
Jesus was welcomed in all regions of Israel outside of Judea. Judeans rejected Jesus, not all Jews. And, besides the anti-Semitism issue, the question of the original recipients of the Gospel of John is important, since Israelite diaspora readers would also have had familiarity with the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures, the Septuagint. The author would draw literary and thematic parallels from the Greek Old Testament to give evidence to his readers that Jesus was the one, quote, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, unquote, John chapter 1, verse 45. Literary and thematic parallels from the Old Testament, recognizable to Greek-speaking Hebrews, might be missed or misunderstood by later Gentile readers of John's Gospel. For example, in a future podcast episode, I hope and plan to suggest that while 2nd century and later Gentile Christians interpreted the Gospel's first verse, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, as a reference to a second divine figure involved in the Genesis creation, an Israelite reader familiar with the Greek Old Testament scriptures would recognize and connect this statement in John 1.1 to Moses. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is not presented as an incarnate God who walks around concealed in human flesh, but rather as a man, the Messiah, and the prophet like unto Moses, whom God promised to send. Yishma'u anavim ve'yismachu, the humble will hear and rejoice.